Hello, friends. An update on our special giving opportunity to support the church in Ukraine. By now, you all know that the worst-case scenario for that country has become a reality, especially because we have so many wonderful God-fearing friends there who are committed to bringing the gospel to their region of the world. We are grieving. We very much want you to care and to give and to help them. I spent a long night communicating with these brothers and sisters in Christ. And that includes the amazing kingdom servant Oleg Magdich, who has pastored and provided relief to many of the evangelical churches that were started in eastern Ukraine since the border war began in 2014. I'll be airing more of my interview with him next week, but today I want you to hear an excerpt. These are Oleg's words to your hearts. I hope you'll step up today and help us send him as much support as possible, for the hardest work is just beginning. Please give your best today. We were going to go to the very front line to deliver help to our friends that were under heavy shelling in the last couple of days, and one of them was injured. The whole infrastructure was destroyed. We left Kiev at 9 p.m., driving through the night. We stopped on the way to get some gas in a city called Kharkiv, which is one of the largest cities in eastern Ukraine. I got a message from one of my friends from the States, and he was like, hey, Putin just announced war against Ukraine. As we were coming out, I gathered my team, and I was going to tell them. Suddenly, rockets landed. could see the bright sky. You know, the heavy rocket shelling started about 5 a.m. We decided that we can't go to the front lines because it's super dangerous, and we have only one armored vehicle. We decided to turn around and go back to Kyiv to help our families. And as we were turning around, we could hear and feel the parts of the rockets smashing our armored vehicle. My wife and my youngest son took off with 20 other people. They will try to get to Western Ukraine. They're advancing from all sides, tanks and rockets and planes and helicopters. It's like I'm sleeping, you know, and I want to wake up. It's time for Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. It's time for Chasing the Word here on Compassion Radio. We're glad you've joined us today. I'm glad to be sitting with you, Sandy, as we start the week, as we always do. With the Word, we're in the middle of the book of John. This whole series we're calling The Dynamic Gospel because that's the title of the edition we've made Mm -hmm. as one of our gifts to our Compassion Radio listeners. Obviously, the support of our ministry is dependent upon our listeners, and this is one of the gifts we can give as a way to say thank you for the way you support us. And it's also the heart of our discussion. In the back half of each of these programs, we talk about that particular edition and why it brings to life for us, in a modern sense, the passion of what's going on. And we're entering into the passion of Christ right now in this chapter. Last week, we finished up chapter 16. We left the disciples in kind of a disarray, Jesus working hard to encourage them with the gift of the Holy Spirit, telling them that the Comforter was coming. They seem to kind of get it toward the end of the chapter. This chapter launches into a deep and passionate prayer that Jesus prays, not just for the disciples, not just for the men and women that were with him, but I believe for us here today that this prayer is 
his prayer over us. There's a lot of intentionality in the verses to come. And what I love about it is that it seems like it's so in disarray in the last chapter because Jesus is giving all these answers to questions that aren't being asked or should be getting asked but mm. aren't. Mm-hmm. And there's all that confusion amongst the disciples because they don't even know where to start. Or they do know where to start, but they're scared to death of actually asking the question. So their prayers are jumbled because they're not asking him anything that he can answer. But he still needs to communicate to them, so he's revealing it anyway. Right. But this chapter, he's going to talk to God himself and show them again, this is how you do it. This is how you pray. This is how you bring to God the things that's on your heart. And this is how God is going to answer. When I was in college, I did a Bible study with a group of women that I was friends with. We began to pray the scripture. That's where I kind of started to learn this. And it was one of those things that was very foreign to me at the Hmm. time, even having grown up in the church. This is one of the chapters of the Bible that we prayed. And what we would do was insert ourselves into the prayer. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus talks about the disciples and the followers, or you, you, I would insert my name into that. It really brought to light the passion that Jesus has for me personally. Mm -hmm. As I heard Jesus' voice praying this prayer for me, I love that we can do that with Scripture. I love that Scripture is written for us. It is relevant for us now, even though thousands of years ago is when it was written. I would encourage people to try that. Just a new take on Scripture, maybe. And if you've never thought about you having the latitude, the right to speak your own name in Scripture, think about a love letter coming to you from a grandparent. Maybe somebody that was a generation before you that may not have ever lived long enough in this life to see you grow up, but yet they knew your name and they wrote you a letter and hoping it would be treasured by you later in life. If that intentionality from that person that you don't know because they may have passed away before you were born or before you could remember them can carry across the years and have weight with you Mm -hmm. because you believe that they knew you and they were present when you were little and couldn't perceive them Mm -hmm. and spoke your name in that letter, how passionate and how powerful that could be for you. God's doing the same thing through all of history with the Word of God. Right. And I do believe that he has us and had us in his heart mm. when he spoke these words through the prophets and through Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's perfectly appropriate to be reading our own name into Scripture. Yeah. I think this prayer is also another great example of how to pray with passion. Yes. This is another example that Jesus is giving us on how to pray. So let's get to it. Chapter 17 of John. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh, so he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to those you gave me from this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you, because the words you gave me I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, 
but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Please protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them, because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. This is halfway through a really important prayer, and it is the strongest statement I can think of in all of the words that are recorded of Jesus speaking, where he says, I'm with you. I'm on that level. I'm coming back to the place I already had. So some have said, well, Jesus was just kind of waking up to his divinity all through his life and never really got it until he was forced to go through this so he could finally be glorified and finally discover his divinity. Hmm. There are people that have talked that way theologically. Hmm. Right here, he's saying, I know where I came from. I know what I'm going back to. I know the sojourn I've had in this flesh. And you gave me authority over the stuff we're made of. Yeah. When he says flesh, he's talking about not just our attitudes, behaviors, and worldviews, but the very stuff we're made of, the atoms. <laughs> he said, you gave me authority over those atoms, the stuff in this world, so that I could show that you have authority over even that. But it's not that authority that's so big. It's the authority over all things that are eternal that I already had that I'm going back to. And they get that now. Yeah. So Jesus is making a huge proclamation about his divinity and his authority at this point. He reiterates what eternal life is. Mm-hmm. It is knowing God. It's not just the future. It is knowing the only true God and, and the one who knowing sent him, him as a person, not as an idea. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. we're not reading a recipe and saying, wouldn't this steak taste great? Knowing that recipe means cooking that steak and consuming it. That's the level that Jesus is talking about. To know God is to experience him in that way, to Mm -hmm. have brought him in, to experience his presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In verse 5, he says, Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He goes back to John 1 saying, In the beginning was the word. I was back there. I remember that time, and we had such great glory in that time. It was when we were together, when we were in the presence of each other. Right. He's saying, show that again. Show up in that way right here and now. We have to remember that Jesus did not speak those words at the beginning of John 1.1. This is John himself speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit years afterwards all this happened. But he's quoting Jesus now. So that reality is something that eventually became a very real presence in the heart of John. He could look back through those words to that time when that Jesus, he knew, on this earth, was that one glorified and with God at the very beginning, when all things came into being. And he spoke with great authority from the Holy Spirit to give us that pretext before we even jump into the history, the biography of Jesus in this world. Which reminds me again that everything about the scriptures is interwoven. The presence of Jesus is there to be inferred in some places, to be declared in others, to be remembered in others. But it is Jesus through all of this stuff that makes the difference. Yeah. Because otherwise it is, again, a collection of disparate stories and lots of confusing anecdotes and history chunks. Yeah. It's a blender full of ideas and factoids. On the other hand, we have Jesus. Mm. And that has obviously got to be our lens for all of it. Yeah. 
We broke at this point in the prayer because it's about halfway through the chapter, but also because the entire thing is pretty much a prayer. We mentioned earlier that this is Jesus himself exemplifying for them how to communicate, Mm -hmm. but it's also because his thoughts are clear. He knows where he's going. He knows where he's come from. He's speaking that out as declaratory to his disciples so they get reminded of his identity, his purpose, his place within the Trinity, but also his intentionality, why he came, what he's doing now, where he's going next. And because he's speaking it to his father, and you know his father's ear is going, yes, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. that's it, absolutely. You can hear the echo of the uh uh-huhs. You know, you and I have spent many hours with different kinds of worship where there are things that are responsive readings. And in America, in black churches, where there's such a question-answer-response culture that you expect to hear people emote during the service because the truth is present. And each person has a chance to acknowledge that. And it's not embarrassing to shout out an amen or to be part of it. Pentecostals are very free in that way, too, no matter what race you're from. But this is something I think that God himself is exemplifying when he's cheering himself on within the Trinity. You can hear it in the tone. Mm -hmm. The disciples are looking over his shoulder at this is the way God works. This is the kind of God that, wow, we finally are experiencing what it's like for God to speak within himself. Yeah. I also love how Jesus is appealing to the heart of God Mm -hmm. on behalf of the disciples. He's like, I make this appeal to you. And it's not for the whole world. It's for these that have entrusted their life to me and you've given me. And we are in that. You know, yeah. we, we haven't existed physically on this planet until the years we live now. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, like Paul and, and Peter talking about in Abraham was the promise, and through the seed of Abraham comes all the promise in reality, we are in, spiritually speaking, that body already. Yeah, We will be born to it later. We will experience it. We'll walk and discover it along the way, and we'll become part of that body. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is speaking to them, knowing all that will come from that. I don't think he necessarily has to be thinking about every single name or person or instance in the rest of history. That might be in his brain at that point. Who knows what his capacities were, humanly speaking. But he does know. He knows his Father. He knows what's coming. He knows why they're doing this. And he knows how great it already is and how great it's going to be. Yeah. The rest of the chapter is going to be him praying on behalf of his family. That's where the supplication comes in, all of the appeal to God the Father to reveal himself and protect. And we'll talk about that more next week. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. As I mentioned at the top of the program, we have a very special giving opportunity to double your gift for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. Our friend Oleg Magdich is busy right now, and we need to stand with them. This matching gift is for at least $1,200 and available to you if you'll give this week. Our toll-free order line is 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. If you need to call early or late, that's okay. Just make sure to leave your name and phone number, and we'll get back to you immediately when the doors open each business day. You can also give anytime online at CompassionRadio.com. And if you prefer to put a stamp on it, you can always find us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. God bless you as you stretch your faith. I hope we can be a real encouragement and challenge to you for many, many years to come. And make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. Well, let's read the same passage from The Dynamic Gospel now. 
This again is John 17, starting at verse 1. All that needed to be said to prepare his disciples had been said. Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven and called out in a full voice, Father, the time has come for you to bring glory to yourself through your Son. You saw fit to give your Son the authority to give real life to all you've chosen to completely save. And now they know you as the only God who truly saves. And they know that you have sent me to do your saving work. And now I complete the work of bringing you the glory you alone deserve. From here on earth all the way to your heavenly throne. Now, Father, bring me to your side so we can share our glory together, the same glory we shared before the world began. I've put flesh to your name, and your children have experienced you as a result. I've taken good care of them for you, and they've kept your word in their hearts. It's clear to them that whatever is close to me is close to you. Whatever you have breathed, I lived for them. They know that what flows from you flows through me. Because I lived it out loud, they believed you. Oh, I pray for them, because they're your glorious inheritance. No point in wasting breath praying for the corrupt world they've left behind. It's headed for destruction, and nothing will change that. But these you've entrusted to me. They're yours by right and choosing. Everything I have is truly yours, and that includes the ones you've given me. What's yours you've freely given to me. Now they are the vessels that hold the glory you've given me. Even as I depart this corrupt world, they must remain. I return home to you, so keep them safe in you, most perfect of fathers. May they know a oneness as rich as we have known amongst ourselves. While I was their earthly shepherd, I lived up to the name you gave me. Every last one you sent me, I kept and cared for. I lost none but the lost son described in the scriptures, that every last detail should play out exactly as you planned. Oh, to be coming home at last! I speak it as joy, for joy will be ours, and it will also be theirs as an inheritance. It's a wellspring that will produce for them always. And they have my word, even when the world lashes out at them with hatred. They are no more of the world than I am. I want to insert my name in verse 10 because it just really spoke to me in this version. Everything I have is truly yours, and that includes Sandy. You've given her to me. What's yours, you've freely given to me. Now Sandy is the vessel that holds what glory you've given me. I love how that feels to me that God has reserved me for Jesus. God has given me to the Son. And I hold that glory. I am a vessel of that glory because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Paul talks about earthen vessels, so do the other apostles. The vessel word is important because it already has ceremonial and descriptive importance in the scriptures. A Mm -hmm. vessel holds something. Mm -hmm. A vessel for honor, a vessel for non-honorable things. These are honorable things he's talking about. Right. To hold the glory of God the Father is a holy thing. So when he says they are vessels and they do now hold the truth, he's saying they're clean. Mm -hmm. They're right with me. They're right with you. They are perfectly suited to hold the things that are us. Mm -hmm. Nothing else has to be done. I've made them ready. How often do we start with that truth when we ask God to show up? 
Or are we thinking about how inadequate we are to do this or that, or how bad we are in some way, or how some sin haunts us when we pray to him? Mm -hmm. How often do we actually start with, God has made me clean and appropriate and well-suited to the task at hand and to the presence of God himself? Mm -hmm. We don't usually start there because of the voices we allow to condemn us from Mm -hmm. inside. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not saying anything about the condition that we had before he came. Mm -hmm. He's saying about how we are reconditioned because he came. Yeah. Well, and we have the benefit of the work of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. now. These men and women did not have that yet. Yes. Not in the same way we're talking. But Jesus is still saying they are right. Yes. They belong to you. You have rightly chosen them. Mm -hmm. He says that to the Father. You have rightly chosen these people. Good choice, God. Yeah. 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 Jesus is saying that over us as well. Father, you have rightly chosen Sandy. You have rightly chosen Bram. And they are clean. And you have rightly chosen these people who call on your name. And that is a comforting way to live. Yeah. This does not also mean that we're making a specific choice in the debate between the Reformed and Arminian theology. We're not saying... I don't even think of that. (laughs) Yeah. Because we say you are chosen. That would be the thing that leans heavily into Reformed theology. I've often been asked that question... Well, do we make a choice for God or does he choose us? The answer is yes. Mm. (laughs) I don't know how it all works mathematically, but the point is, what is the point of responding to God if when he says you have a choice to make here and us to say, no, I don't, and then to say, I've proved myself to God and God says, no, you didn't. I gave it to you. We're always going to be in this strange place where it's both our decision and our will saying yes to him and saying no to self. And him saying yes to us before we deserved it, that somehow meets in the middle Mm. and we become alive. I really do believe it is absolutely both. And all we're talking about is looking at two different sides of the same coin. In verse 13, the word about having joy is something that's a promise to them, but it also is the sense of inheritance. And that's why I use that word in Mm -hmm. that particular version we wrote. Inheritance is not always something you get right away. Mm. You know, and I think it's an important thing to remember here. The promise of the inheritance is something that is solid because of who promises it. It does not always mean that we start with experiencing all the joy of having all of this wealth in our laps. If the kingdom of God is to be seen as something that actually is in this world and it's his people, he's taking the territory of our hearts one at a time and promises are solid. He knows he's going to win this battle. We know it from scripture. That does not mean we always experience every bit of joy right away. As we discussed last week, these disciples are about to enter into a deep time of trauma and of aloneness and Mm -hmm. separation anxiety. It's not going to make any sense real soon. But the promise is in this prayer. My joy is their inheritance. Mm -hmm. But they're going to go through a lot before they experience that joy. But the promise is still real. And there are plenty of people in this world today, especially with all the turmoil we've had worldwide for the past couple of years, and not just about the pandemic, but it's one of those big ingredients to this unease. Yeah. The anxiety of our world is obvious to most of us, Mm -hmm. but the promise of the peace is there. I think we have more access to it now, more immediately than perhaps the disciples back then had. But nonetheless, there is no shame in saying, I'm just not experiencing that right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling it. But we appeal to the promise and we do ask God because we have that promise. We have a very specific thing we can ask. God, make it real for me. How do I know and experience your peace right now? And asking God to do it, to show it to you, to lead you into it. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think when we talk about our inheritance, it's okay to go back to the paper and say, God, you promised. Yeah. This is mine. This is my reality. Let's go that next step, Lord. 
make it really, really real for me right now. I need it. Yeah. It's okay to say that. I think that's us entering into where Jesus said, they will be able to ask you directly just like I do. Well, and we have to be able to look back and celebrate the small steps oh, that yeah. have gotten us to where we are now. And that that's a tough thing to do. And it's a brave thing to do, mm-hmm. to be able to look back and say, this is where I was last week. Mm-hmm. And this is where I am today. And it's a step further down the road of healing, of recovery, of joy in the Lord. Even if it feels like our entire life is two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, three steps back. <laughs> right. Somehow over those peaks and valleys that we feel, at least we sense and can acknowledge that God is bringing us forward. Even I've talked about the example from the book Hind's Feet in High Places a number of times on this broadcast. Mm-hmm. That allegory, this little Miss Much Afraid, is not transformed until the very end of the book. But she goes through all these progressions of things. And what does she end up with to prove her point? Her bag of evidence, which is basically a bag of rocks. <laughs> you know? It's not something like a snapshot or a photo album of beautiful moments. It is literally a bag of rocks hanging on her hip. She picks up one when a lesson is learned. That's what the shepherd told her to do. Mm-hmm. And when it came time to present those to God at the end of it, saying, I know the story behind this rock. And you can say that story. And you hand it over to him. He turns that thing into an altar. Yeah. And it consumes all the pain and reveals God's glory. And so that he can then bestow upon her a new name. Mm-hmm. A name that is complete, that is full of joy. That is, as she was transformed from Miss Much Afraid, her final name was? Grace and Glory, the revealed heart of the Father. That, friends, is our desire for you. It is our inheritance, and it is our living reality if we'll let it be so. But it does not mean that pain is not part of it. Mm -hmm. It means that it's true. So whatever you're going through, whatever things you may be struggling through right now, understand that we get that, and we are praying for you even as we do this program. And it is the place we're going to leave chapter 17 of John today, and we'll come back for the rest of Jesus' incredible prayer on behalf of all the church and the people to come in next week's Chasing the Word series on the book of John. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll look forward to seeing you on tomorrow's Compassion Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today, and it will be doubled with a matching grant. Call 1-800-868-2478 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.